What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Primetime Sports Podcast, hosted by Joey Maylari. So today I'm going to give you a breakdown of how the Red Sox did over the weekend in their series against the Chicago Cubs. Then I'll talk about some other things around the game of baseball, including Shohei Otani trade rumors and give you an update of how I feel about him potentially getting traded. Then I'll also talk about the Dodgers, how they performed over the weekend with them having a big series against the New York Mets. And then I'll preview their series against the Baltimore Orioles as well. I'll talk about some other teams in the game of baseball as well, including the Tampa Bay Rays who've been struggling as of late. And then I'll move into talking about the NFL just a little bit at the end of this episode. So a lot of baseball and then a little bit of football to close out the episode. So let's start talking about the Boston Red Sox, who took two or three games against the Cubs this weekend. And the Sox right now are blazing hot in the last 10 games. 8-2 and two record in the last 10 games. 8 wins, 2 losses for the Sox in the last 10 games played. And a big part of this success has been the rise of Tristan Casas, Cutter Crawford, Justin Turner, James Paxton. A lot of guys over the last few weeks, even Paxton for the whole season, that have been putting together really good outings for the Sox. And over the weekend, Casas and Crawford both came up big for the Red Sox. Crawford yesterday went 6 innings on the mound, giving up just 1 hit, no runs, 9 strikeouts, 4 walks, and hit batsman. So, all in all, just six base runners allowed yesterday in six innings for Crawford, giving up just one hit and no runs with nine strikeouts, also threw 89 pitches. He's now at 4-4 four and four on the year with a 3.74 ERA, with 37 strikeouts and 36 and two-thirds innings pitched as a starter. Also has a 3.93 ERA as a starter as well. He had electric stuff yesterday, and it's really been stepping up for the Red Sox with all the injuries they've had to Tanner Houck, to Garrett Whitlock, to Chris Sale, to Corey Kluber really struggling. With those three injuries and the Corey Kluber struggling, the Red Sox needed somebody in the rotation to get going. And luckily, Cutter Crawford was able to step in and go alongside James Paxton and Brian Bayo to make a nice, strong three-man rotation there for the Red Sox before Houck, Whitlock, and Sale come back. So credit to Crawford. He's looked great. I've been a big fan of his all year. I'm happy to see him really putting together some really good outings for the Red Sox as a starter. And another player who's put together a really good string of some really good games and a good stretch here for the Red Sox over the last month or two is Tristan Casas, who's looked better every single month this season. April, he struggled. May got a little better. June, he got a little better. And now July looks even better than he did in June. Casas looks consistently better each and every game. He had a home run in all three games this past weekend against the Cubs. He's up to 12 home runs on the year and raised his batting average up to 233. In his last 32 games played, he's made 27 starts. And in those 32 games, he's hitting 302 with a 566 slugging percentage, a 949 OPS, six home runs, 16 RBIs, and eight doubles. He's looked like a completely different player. He has looked like a completely different player for the Sox over the last month. The last 32 games, he's hitting 302 with a 566 slugging percentage and a 949 OPS of six home runs. This is a guy that deserves a little bit more respect from Boston Sports Radio shows. I know when I listened a lot during the first half of the season, just about every single day they would complain about Casas defensively at first base, which he's still getting better there as well. But they would complain about his hitting ability as well and how poor he is at the plate. He's definitely gotten better. Whether it was a call-in or a host going at Tristan Casas, I think they all owe him an apology with how well he's been playing over the last 32 games. 302 batting average in 32 games, that's pretty good for a guy that was really struggling early in the year. This guy deserves a little bit more respect, just like Jaron Duran, who deserves a little bit more respect as well. Duran's a guy that was getting torched by Boston sports media last year at this time, even in the offseason, even at the beginning of the season when he didn't make the roster right away. He was getting torched for his inability on defense and then his lack of consistency at the plate, where he'd start out really hot at the plate for a couple weeks and then go ice cold. But now he's a guy that's put everything together 
and looks like another completely different player. Duran's up to five home runs on the year with a 318 batting average and a 515 slugging percentage. He's looked awesome for the Red Sox. And another guy that's been red hot at the dish, Masataki Yoshida. And it's safe to say now that the anonymous executives around the game of baseball that thought the Red Sox overpaid for Masataki Yoshida, they were wrong. It's safe to say that those executives were wrong. One even said that they wouldn't have given Masataki Yoshida half the money the Red Sox gave him. Well, now they're wrong, and now they can probably see that, and it's only taken half a season for them to realize Masataki Yoshida is a good player. And definitely deserved the money the Red Sox gave him. He was 3-for-5 yesterday with a triple, a single, and a grand slam, which was his second grand slam of the season. Yoshida is now up to a 317 batting average, adding in 11 home runs and 50 RBIs so far in the first 81 games of the season he's played in. So he's played about half a season now for the Red Sox. He did miss some time with the injuries. But he's at a 317 batting average at half the season with 100 hits, 50 runs scored, 50 runs batted in, and 38 strikeouts to 27 walks in 81 games. 315 at-bats is a good amount, and he's at 317. Yoshida definitely was a good pickup there by the Red Sox. And now he's had nine multi-hit games in his last 10 games played. Yoshida has nine multi-hit games in his last 10 games he's played in. He's 20 for 43 on those 10 games with three home runs, 11 runs batted in, three doubles, three stolen bases, a 465 batting average, a 767 slugging percentage, and a 1245 OPS. He's been absolutely raking. What a pickup there by High and Bloom. And another good pickup by High and Bloom, Justin Turner, who was washed in a lot of people's eyes and has revived his career here in Boston. In his last 30 games played, Turner's hitting 359 with a 615 slugging percentage, a 1028 OPS, seven home runs. 30 runs batted in, 9 doubles, and has now improved his batting average to 291 on the season with 14 home runs, 56 RBIs, and an 836 OPS on the year. He's looked awesome. So a lot of Bloom's guys are balling right now. And I mentioned this on my radio show last Wednesday in the WZBC AM Sports Studio. Bloom's guys are all hitting their strides at the right time. James Paxton has looked great. Justin Turner, very good hitter over the last month and a half. Kenley Jansen, Chris Martin have done their jobs, for the most part, out of the bullpen. Masataki Yoshida has been one of the most consistent hitters in the game of baseball. Cutter Crawford has looked really good as a starter over his last four to five outings. Josh Minkowski has been very good out of the bullpen. And I know it's been a roller coaster of a ride for people supporting Hyam Bloom and not supporting him. And there's been a lot more people that haven't supported him than have supported him. But I think he's done a better job than what most people are giving him credit for right now. And that's why I'm fine with the Red Sox keeping him at the end of this season. I mentioned this on my radio show the other day. I think Bloom's job is safe right now, and I'd be fine keeping him for another season since there's a lot of pieces that are coming together at the right time right now. A lot. And I'm not saying he's done everything right. Letting Bogats, Martinez, and Evaldi all walk in free agency for free, I'm not saying that was the right move, which it wasn't. You should have traded those three pieces of the trade deadline if you knew you weren't going to re-sign them. But at the end of the day, what he's put together this past offseason has worked for the most part. He got Paxton basically this offseason, even though he signed him last year. Gets him for his first year on the mound for the Red Sox this year, since he missed his first year, since he was out with an injury. Now with this second year on his contract that he picked up, he has been playing great. Justin Turner was a free agency ad. Kenley Jansen and Chris Martin and Masataki Yoshida, all those are free agent ads. And they're all playing great right now. So credit to Bloom for that. He's put together a nice little core here that's starting to turn things around.
So what's next for the Red Sox? Well, they got three games against Oakland now, starting in Oakland tonight. The Oakland A's, the worst team in the game of baseball, 25-70 and 70 record on the year. They are 2-8 and eight in their last 10 games played and were just swept by the Minnesota Twins this past weekend. The Sox need to win all three games here. You're playing against an Oakland team that you did just sweep right before the All-Star break and a team that's struggling in every aspect of the game, offensively, pitching, defensively. you got to go into Oakland and take advantage and win all three games. Right now, the Red Sox are two games behind the Houston Astros for the last wildcard spot in the AL. Every single game matters. And luckily for the Red Sox, they still have seven games against the Houston Astros between now and the end of the season, so they can definitely make up ground then as well. But winning against a team like Oakland, taking three of three games, would be huge. And one last thing I want to mention before I stop talking about the Red Sox and move on to another team is what Jared Crabb has tweeted this morning. And he said, since the Red Sox were swept by the Miami Marlins, the Sox have the best record in the major leagues at a 10-2 record. They lead baseball in average over the last 12 games with a 308 batting average as a team. They lead the league in slugging with a 542 slugging percentage over the last 12 games. They lead in OPS with a 901 OPS. They lead in extra base hits with 57. And then they also lead the American League in home runs with 20 over the last 12 games. They lead the American League in runs with 77. And also lead an on-base percentage with a 359 on-base percentage in the last 12 games played. So the Red Sox are starting to turn things around. This team, I truly believe, is going to make a run, make it in the playoffs as a wildcard spot. And I think they win just one series as of now. I like their chances against Minnesota or Cleveland. Whoever wins the AL Central will be the three seed in the American League and will face the worst wildcard team. And I'd imagine right now the Red Sox probably sneak in and are the last wildcard spot. So they'd face up against the Twins or Guardians. And I like the Sox chances in a best of three series there. As for who they would play after that, it's tough to say right now if the Sox can win another series. But as of right now, I like the Sox to make the playoffs and win a series against either the Twins or Guardians. So now I'm going to move on and talk about some other teams in the American League, starting off with the Texas Rangers. And I'm going to talk very quick about them. They have three games right now in the next three days against the Tampa Bay Rays, a team that's been struggling as of late. Texas has just started to find their stride again, which they had a little bit of a slump over the last 30 games played. They did just sweep Cleveland in three games this past weekend, which is huge. And now they're playing against the Rays, who are 3-7 and seven in the last 10 games played. Texas needs to take two or three games in this series. They're facing McClanahan tonight, which is tough. Shane McClanahan's been one of the best pitchers in the game of baseball this year, and he is my pick to win the AL Cy Young at the midway point of the season. We'll see what happens in the second half of the year, but McClanahan has my vote right now to win the AL Cy Young. But they have to face McClanahan tonight. I still think you have to take two or three games in the series, though. Tampa Bay's been struggling. They have been struggling. And it's been a great time while they're struggling for the Baltimore Orioles to make up ground. And that's what they've been doing. And I'm going to talk about the Orioles in just a few minutes. I'm going to start talking about the Angels first and show how tiny trade room is. And then I'll move on to talking about the Los Angeles Dodgers. And then I'll preview their series against the Baltimore Orioles. We'll talk about the Orioles' hot streak. So let's start with Shohei Otani trade rumors. As of right now, it's still unlikely that Shohei Otani is traded. And even though things can change within a couple weeks, I'm still holding off some hope that the Angels can put together a nice little streak of maybe six wins in 10 games, seven wins in 10 games, to try to get back on track a little and give them a chance at an AL Wildcats spot by the end of the season which they have to make a decision by August 1st. Two weeks from today, do you want to trade Shohei Otani? Do you not? And at the end of the day, it might be a smart baseball decision for their future to trade Shohei if they know they're not going to be able to re-sign him. 
But do you have any chance of re-signing Shohei? You know if you trade him, he's not coming back in free agency. So what I would do as the Angels general manager, and if I was Adi Moreno, the owner, I would say, Shohei, he has $650 million as an offer if you decline it. We know you probably don't want to come back in free agency. And if we keep losing games going into the trade deadline, we're going to move you at the trade deadline for the best return back. And that would be a smart thing for the Angels to do for the future if they know Shohei's not coming back, which it's still unlikely that he does come back. But if there's still somewhat hope, you still try to keep him, especially if you have a shot at the playoffs. But as of right now, the Angels know they're in win-now mode. And if they want to keep Shohei Otani around for the end of the season, they have to win games. And last night was a heartbreaking loss for the Angels on Sunday Night Baseball. After a roller coaster win on Saturday versus the Astros with a 12-3 win in extra innings, after the Astros made an error and ended up helping the Angels walk off the game, the Angels go into Sunday Night Baseball and blow a big lead. But let me break down the win on Saturday really quick. The Angels trailed in that game 9-3 heading into the bottom of the seventh inning after giving up five runs in the top of the seventh. They responded with six runs in the bottom of the seventh inning, tie the game 9-9, Thanks to Zach Neto's seventh home run of the season, and Eduardo Escobar's single, and then a Mike Moustakas home run. All three of those players coming up big in that inning. But then the Angels gave up three runs between the eighth and ninth innings, and we're down 12-9 to nine, heading into the bottom of the ninth inning, where Shohei Otani hit his 33rd home run of the season, and Hunter Renfro had an RBI single to score Andrew Velasquez to tie the game. So it's 12-12 now, going into the top of the 10th. The Angels get out of the top of the 10th without giving up a run, and it's 12-12 going into the bottom of the 10th inning where Taylor Ward has a fielder's choice that ended up winning the game for the Angels. The Astros try to turn two with a bad throw. The Angels end up scoring and winning the game in the bottom of the 10th inning. So now it's Sunday Night Baseball. The Angels have a close win on Saturday, an electric win, come from behind win. And on Sunday Night Baseball, they're up 7-3 going into the top of the 8th inning. Zach Neto in the bottom of the 7th had a big RBI double that scored Andrew Velasquez from first base. Velasquez was flying around the bases. And then Taylor Ward, who's been very hot as of late for the Angels, had a bases-clearing three-run double right after that to give the Angels a four-run inning and a 7-3 lead. And the Angels sensed the urgency. They sensed the urgency on the base paths. If you saw Andrew Velasquez run from first to third, you probably would have held him up at third base. The third base coach for the Angels sends him home. And then with Taylor Ward's three-run double, Mickey Moniak scored from first base on that. And once again, if you're playing conservative... You keep him at third base, just like you would do with the same with Velasquez. But no, in that moment, you understand we want to win these games. And if we can force the Astros to have to make a good throw at the plate, we're going to do that. Try to score a run. If we get thrown out, it's a risk we were willing to take. And that's what the Angels did. So two times scoring Velasquez and scoring Mickey Moniak from first base on doubles, coming from Zach Neto and Taylor Ward. They sensed the urgency in yesterday's game. And so now they're up 7-3. to three, And then they choked the game away giving up a two-run home run in the top of the eighth. And then we're going into the top of the ninth inning, up 7-5, to five, where they gave up four runs in the top of the ninth inning with Alex Bregman and Kyle Tucker hitting big home runs for the Astros. So it's a 9-7 ball game going into the bottom of the ninth inning. Alex Bregman had four hits on the night, his first four-hit game of his career. And then Kyle Tucker had a big home run there, an insurance run for the Astros, giving them a two-run lead, making it a 9-7 game going to the bottom of the ninth where Shohei Otani ends up hitting his 34th home run of the season, giving the Angels a one-run game there. They're only down one run. And then that's all the Angels could come up with. Just one run there, and they lose the game 9-8. Heartbreaking loss when they're up 7-3 going into the top of the eighth inning. So now if you look at the Angels, they're 2-8 in the last 10 games played, and now play the Yankees 
for three big games and then face Pittsburgh for three and Detroit for three. Over those nine games between the Yankees, Pirates, and Tigers, the Angels have to go six and three at least. Six wins and three losses at the worst in my eyes. You have to find a way to win six of those nine games. Tonight, the Angels are facing the Yankees at home in Anaheim for a three-game series. A Yankees team that's four and six in the last 10 games played that are coming off two series losses in a row to the Cubs before the All-Star break, losing two of three, and then losing two of three to the Colorado Rockies. So if you look at it, the Yankees are very cold right now, just like the Angels. And the Angels need to win these games. They need to win and take advantage of this Yankees team. Tonight for the Yankees on the mound is Luis Severino, who is a 7.38 ERA on the season, 7.38 ERA. And then Griffin Canning is 6-4 on the mound this season for the Angels with a 4.62 ERA. He needs to come up big for the Angels tonight. The Angels need to win this game. They need to start the series with a win and then take at least one more against the Yankees and win two of three. They're desperate for wins right now to try to keep Shohei. And if things don't work out and things fall apart for the trade deadline, I think Shohei will be dealt. But as of now, I still think it's still unlikely since there's still some games to go before the trade deadline. If you look at Otani and how he compares against the rest of the major leagues in, in every big statistical category, it's ridiculous. Otani leads the major leagues in home runs, slugging percentage, OPS, OPS+, plus, total bases, then he's tied for triples as well, and then in pitching categories, he's the best batting average against in the major leagues and the best hits per nine innings allowed in the league as well. Otani's ridiculous. You're getting a superstar as a pitcher and a superstar as a hitter as well. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with Shohei and the Angels over the next week and a half before the trade deadline. The trade deadline's 14 days away. In the next 10 games or so, the Angels are going to know whether or not it's the best idea to trade Shohei Otani or keep him and try to brace for a postseason run. And if the Angels are gearing up for a postseason run, that means they definitely have to add to their team as well. They wouldn't be selling at the trade deadline. They'd be buying at the trade deadline if they're trying to make a postseason run with Shohei Otani. And in doing so, you trade for a bullpen piece, probably add to the rotation as well, and maybe a bat or two for the bench. So we'll see what the Angels do. And what they are going to do with the trade deadline is going to depend on how they perform over the next 10 games. So let's dive into the Dodgers. They are 53-39 and 39 on the year, 7-3 in the last 10 games played. They just took 2-3 of three this past weekend against the New York Mets, losing yesterday's game 2-1. to one. Scherzer was elite on the mound for the Mets. Max Scherzer went 7 innings, giving up just 1 hit, 6 strikeouts, and 3 walks. He was elite on the mound for the Mets and gave them a well-needed win. The Dodgers now have a 3-game series against the Red Hot Baltimore Orioles a team that's won eight of the last 10 games and just swept the Miami Marlins. The Orioles have won eight games in a row and in doing so have put themselves just one spot, one game behind the Tampa Bay Rays in the AL East lead, which I think the Orioles win the AL East. And I wouldn't be surprised if the Orioles in the trade deadline add to their starting rotation. And I'm going to talk about the starting rotation in just a minute. But if they could add a top-end rotation piece, like a Shohei Otani, let's say, because they definitely have the prospects to go out and get Shohei if they wanted, but that depends on whether or not they want to give up those prospects and if they would want to actually re-sign him as well. You'd have to pay Shohei Otani. If you're going to trade for him, you have to think you have a shot at extending him, a decent shot at extending him, because you don't want to trade for him just for a rental piece. Especially if you're a team like the Baltimore Orioles that's rebuilding and have really put together a great farm system there. Things are starting to go the Orioles' way, and they have a lot of young prospects coming up over the next couple of years. You don't just trade for Shohei Otani without thinking you have a good shot at extending him. So I doubt they're going to trade for Shohei Otani, but at the end of the day, 
That would be one of my favorite landing spots for him. The Dodgers and the Orioles. Would love to see him on either one of those teams. And the Dodgers and the Orioles have the prospects to get any player in the game of baseball that they want because of how deep their farm systems are. But as for the Orioles' rotation right now, which they've had a pretty good stretch now of good outings from the starting pitches, they've been finding ways to win without a top-end starter. So imagine this team with a top-end starter and ace. Let's say a Lucas Giolito. Shohei Otani for the fun of it, because I like the Orioles and I'd root for them to get a guy like Shohei. I think a team that's been struggling for so long deserves to have a superstar like Shohei Otani. Maybe they add Dylan Cease if they wanted to go and trade for him, if the White Sox would give him up, which I doubt they're going to, but you never know. Maybe they go get Jack Flaherty from the Cardinals. The Orioles have a lot of options, but if you look at their rotation right now, Kyle Bradish, Tyler Wells, two guys have been putting together some good outings for them. They're finding ways to win right now without a top-end starter. Bradish has a 6-4 record on the year, 3.05 ERA and 17 starts, with 87 strikeouts and 91 in the third innings pitched. Yesterday, he went seven and third innings on the mound, giving up just three hits, no runs, eight strikeouts, one walk, and a hit batsman. His last six outings for the Orioles have been elite. Bradish is 4-2 and two in his last six outings, with 36 strikeouts to eight walks and 38 in the third innings pitched, with a 172 opponent batting average, giving up just six earned runs. In his last six outings, six earned runs in his last 38 and a third innings pitch. He's been great. And then Tyler Wells, another guy that's been fantastic on the mound for Baltimore. He's a 7-4 record on the year with a 3.18 ERA. And in his last eight starts, he has 49 strikeouts of 12 walks and 47 and two-thirds innings pitched, giving up 15 earned runs with eight home runs over those eight starts. That's what he's been struggling with, his home runs. But over those eight starts, a 2.83 ERA and a 2.13 opponent batting average. He's been great. And then Adley Rutschman, the young star catcher, has a hit in 12 of his last 14 games. And over those 14 games, has a 3.21 batting average with an 8.56 OPS, two home runs, six runs batted in, and four doubles. Gunnar Henderson, another young piece on this roster that has really turned things around as of late. He's really started to figure things out over the last 30 games. In his last 30 games, Henderson has eight home runs with 24 runs batted in, a 305 batting average over those 30 games with a 929 OPS, five doubles, a triple, and is now up to 14 home runs on the year. Henderson is a little bit similar to Tristan Casas, where they came up at the end of last season, struggled batting average-wise in the limited playing time they got at the end of last season. Struggled early in this season as well with batting average and then got consistently better over each month. Casas and Henderson both have been on a similar timeline getting better over the last 30 games. And I can't wait to see this Orioles team when they actually decide to spend money. They have so many young prospects and so much young talent on this roster. Imagine how good they're going to be once they start spending money on some big free agents. And I'm looking forward to seeing them do that. They're a team that's going to run the American League for some years to come if they start just spending money and putting together pieces that aren't just the young pieces, guys that get on the free agent market. Because you can build your team a nice core of young pieces and young prospects. But at the end of the day, you have to make moves, whether it's trades or getting free agents, if you want to go to that next step. And the Orioles are on that way to becoming a powerhouse in the American League for years to come. So one last thing I want to mention about the Dodgers before I jump into talking about the NFL is James Outman and Mookie Betts. James Outman, he's starting to get back on track for the Dodgers in his last 10 games. He's hit 290 for a batting average with a 516 slugging percentage, a 922 OPS, 
with two home runs, five runs batted in, and a double over those 10 games. The Dodgers needed him to get back to where he was at the start of the season. He's starting to do that over the last 10 games. If you look at where he was at the beginning of the season, he was electric and was the favorite to win the Rookie of the Year in the NL over Corbin Carroll for some time. He hit 281 in his first 38 games of the season with eight home runs, 23 runs batted in, a 952 OPS with eight doubles and three triples in his first 38 games of the season. Since that 38th game on May 10th, he's played in 48 games and is hitting just 200 with three home runs, 17 runs batted in, and a 568 OPS. He hit 281 with eight home runs in his first 38 games of the season. In his next 48 games, a 200 batting average of just three home runs. But he's starting to get things together over the last 10 games, which is good for that Dodgers lineup. And one last thing I want to mention is Mookie Betts, who hit his 27th home run of the season over the weekend and has raised his batting average to 286 and his OPS to 976 on the year. In his last 38 games played, Mookie has a 342 batting average with a 725 slugging percentage and 1155 OPS with 16 home runs over those 38 games, 34 runs batted in, 23 strikeouts to 23 walks with nine doubles and five stolen bases. He's seen the ball very well. A 342 batting average, a 725 slugging percentage with 16 home runs and 23 strikeouts to 23 walks over 38 games. He's seen the ball very well. And he's still my bet right now to win the NL MVP. Even though Acuna is still the heavy favorite, I still think Mookie Betts by the end of the season closes that gap even more. So for the pitching matchups between the Orioles and the Dodgers in their three-game series, it'll be Emmett Sheehan and Grayson Rodriguez going at it tonight. Sheehan, a rookie who has a 4.35 ERA and a 2-0 record on the year in 20 innings pitched, versus Grayson Rodriguez, a top prospect for the Orioles, just like Emmett Sheehan's a top prospect for the Dodgers. Two top prospects going at it. Sheehan, only 22 thirds innings pitched in his major league career. Rodriguez getting called back up to the major leagues for this start with a 2 2 record on the year with a 7.35 ERA and 45 and a thirds innings pitched. This should be a nice duo to watch on the mound go at it tonight. A good matchup there between the Orioles and the Dodgers. Then tomorrow, it'll be Michael Grove on the mound for the Dodgers, who has a 6.89 ERA. Once again, another young starter going up against Tyler Wells. For the Orioles, who has a 3.18 ERA and a 7-4 record overall on the year. Wells has been pretty good for them. A guy that's put together a good stretch of games, like I mentioned, over his last eight starts. And then on Wednesday, the getaway game at 105 on Wednesday, it'll be the Dodgers putting Julio Arias on the mound, who has a 4.35 ERA on the year and a 7-5 record. He's missed some time with injuries. And then Dean Kramer on the mound for the Orioles, who has a 10-4 record on the year and a 4.59 ERA. Whoever wins this series and takes two of three, it would be huge. But at the end of the day, I think the Orioles need these wins right now more than the Dodgers. The Orioles need to take two or three games in the series since they're still closing the gap against the Rays in every single win matters. I think the Dodgers will be fine in the NL. to make the playoffs. And with the Diamondbacks struggling over the last 10 games, the Dodgers have an easier path to win in the NL West. As for the Orioles, taking two of three here would be huge since there's a chance the Yankees could lose some of these games against the Angels and the Orioles could gain a couple games on them and maybe close that division lead and maybe tie them for the lead in the division. So we'll see what happens in this matchup between the Dodgers and the Orioles, but it'll be a good series, and whoever takes this 2-3 of three in the series and takes the series lead would be huge. Would be huge. And I think the Dodgers don't need it as bad as the Orioles right now. The Orioles need it to try to close that gap in the division. So the Orioles need 2-3 of three in this series against the Dodgers. So we'll see what happens. Now I'm going to move on to talk about the NFL. I want to talk about a couple storylines over the last day. 
with DeAndre Hopkins signing with the Titans. And then we'll talk about Saquon Barkley and the 4 o'clock deadline for him to try to sign a long-term extension with the Giants. We'll start with Hopkins. Just signed a two-year, $26 million deal with the Tennessee Titans. Hopkins played nine games last year for the Cardinals, getting 64 receptions in those nine games with 717 receiving yards and three touchdowns. He played in 35 games in three years for the Cardinals, picking up 221 catches for 2,700 receiving yards and 17 receiving touchdowns. He's a five-time Pro Bowl and a three-time All-Pro, but I don't think he really makes this Titans offense that much better. I think he's a good player, don't get me wrong. And it'll definitely make it easier on Ryan Tannehill and that offense to move the ball, but I don't think they're going to win the division just because they got DeAndre Hopkins. I think Jacksonville still has a better roster. I think Jacksonville still wins this division over Tennessee. Hopkins now joins an offense with Ryan Tannehill and Derrick Henry. Will Levis and Malik Willis will also get snaps, I'd imagine, at some point in the season. I don't think Ryan Tannehill will stop more than half the season for this Tennessee Titans team. Traylon Burks is the wide receiver two now, meaning Hopkins is now the wide receiver one. And I know a lot of Patriots fans are upset that he didn't sign with the New England Patriots, but I never felt like Bill Belichick was actually going to sign him. Even though the Patriots have needed more help at receiver over the last couple seasons, and it would definitely help Mac Jones move the ball downfield if you give him a number one receiver like DeAndre Hopkins. I never thought it was actually legitimate that he'd come to the Patriots. Even though he did do a visit with the Patriots at one point in Foxborough, I always thought he was going to go to either Tennessee or maybe even if a team like the Chiefs were to give him an offer. I never thought the Patriots were going to be legitimate since they never really want to pay guys. Even though he only got $13 million a year, the Patriots don't ever really want to pay guys. And if they wanted DeAndre Hopkins... Maybe they would have broke that and tried to get him. But at the end of the day, he's now a Tennessee Titan and is now their wide receiver one. Now I'm going to move on to the last storyline I'm going to talk about in this episode. And it's Saquon Barkley, the star running back in the New York Giants, have until 4 p.m. today to figure out whether or not a long-term extension will be reached. Right now, he would have to play under the $10.1 million franchise tag. And he's very unwilling, according to reports, to play under the tag and would rather hold out and miss regular season games until he's handed an extension. And if you look at what Barkley did last year for the Giants, he was great, definitely helped the offense move the ball, was back to being one of the best running backs in the game of baseball, was fully healthy as well last year, didn't even miss a game. He sat out week 18, though, and the Giants played the Eagles in a meaningless game since the Giants wanted to prepare for the wild card game against the Minnesota Vikings. They didn't play Barkley or Daniel Jones in that game. A lot of starters did sit for the Giants in that game. But Barkley last year didn't miss any games and had a career-high 1,312 rushing yards to go along with 10 rushing touchdowns, a 4.4 yards per carry average, and also had 57 catches for 338 yards. Barkley was also a Pro Bowl selection last year in the NFC, his second time being a Pro Bowl in his career. So obviously a very productive season for the number two overall pick in the 2018 NFL Draft. He was a great back, obviously, last year for the Giants, but they're not going to force a deal that hurts their financial future. Joe Shane, as the Giants GM, has been very conservative with how much money to give in each contract guaranteed and how much total money to give in each contract. So he's not going to just throw money at Saquon Barkley that he might think hurts the Giants in the future. I would say right now, if I was Joe Shane, I would give Saquon Barkley a three-year, $42 million deal with $25 million guaranteed. Maybe $27 million guaranteed if that's really what makes Saquon Barkley say, yes, I'll come back if it's an extra $2 million guaranteed. But the Giants aren't going to force themselves to give Saquon Barkley a deal that they think doesn't really help their future. And if you look at the Giants without Saquon Barkley, these are the three options at running back. Matt Breida, who had 54 carries or 220 yards last year and a rushing touchdown, also added in 12 receptions for 118 yards. Eric Gray, a rookie from Oklahoma that they just drafted in the 2023 NFL Draft. 
Gray had 213 carries last year for Oklahoma with 1,366 yards and 11 touchdowns on the ground, also adding in 33 catches of 229 yards. And then Gary Brightwell, who had 31 carries for 141 yards last year and a rushing touchdown, averaging 4.5 yards per carry, also picking up five receptions for 39 yards. I think Brightwell's a very underrated third-year back that I honestly wouldn't mind taking more carries this upcoming season. I'm a big Gary Brightwell fan, and I think he deserves to be the second back on the team in touches behind Saquon Barkley. And if Saquon Barkley doesn't play, Gary Brightwell should be the starting running back. And it might sound crazy to say to most people, but I'm a guy that was a big fan of Wayne Gallman. Even when Wayne Gallman was a backup running back for a few years with the Giants before he got some snaps over Saquon Barkley when Saquon Barkley was hurt in 2019 and in 2020, I got a lot of criticism and a lot of heat from some of my friends at BC for being a fan of, quote-unquote, a backup running back. At the end of the day, when Wayne Gallman got those starting carries and was a starting back for the Giants, he produced, he was a top-five running back in fantasy for a three- to four-week stretch. He was huge for the Giants and was very productive in 2020 when he got snaps when Saquon Barkley was hurt. And I think Gary Brightwell could be a similar situation where he's thrown low on the depth chart but definitely could perform and definitely make some things happen if he gets the ball and got enough snaps to be productive. Brightwell has shown bursts of speed, shiftiness, and has good hands as well. He can kick return two for the Giants. I would like to see him get more snaps for the Giants this year. Would not mind seeing him be the starting back if Saquon Barkley doesn't come back. Does that mean I think he's better than Saquon Barkley? No. But if Saquon Barkley is going to ultimately hold out and not come back, the Giants need somebody to be their starting running back, and I wouldn't mind Gary Brightwell being that guy. Anyways, that will conclude this episode. Thank you guys so much for taking the time to listen to this. As always, I appreciate it and hope you guys have a good one. Thank you.